All right. Well, thanks everyone for sitting in on this webinar today. My name is Nate Erickson, and I'm very excited to be here. This is something that has turned into something I had very little information or expertise on, but it's quickly turned into a passion project that I think a lot of people could replicate. And I think that it is something that that many of our communities would benefit from. So I'm really excited to be here today. Um, my working background, I've, I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I went from college to being a butcher, to being a radio guy, to working, um, <laughs> working for a, a college, then to the Salvation Army. And I, there are some Salvation Army things in here. And that's really my tie to AHA process and getting ahead. Um, but since um, since I was able to last give this presentation, I've I have moved on to a new position with the University of Minnesota Extension Office. So I've kind of done it all and worked with all different backgrounds of folks. And, and really, all of those job changes have really led me to believing that this work that my friends and I are doing is some of the most vital and important work that is going on in our community. I don't want to toot my own horn. I, I probably will sound like that a few times, but um, this is really something that I think is is really cool. So I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited to share all of this with you here today. So here's a quick look at what to expect throughout the next 40 to 45 minutes with me. Um, again, the introduction there. My name is Nate. Um, feel free to to email me at any time, Facebook me or anything like that. And if you have questions or if you have any way that uh, any ideas that you want to share or any ways that you want to partner, I would love to would love to hear them. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So with that, let's just dive right in here. And before I can share with you exactly what our project is called or what my project is all about, I want to give you a little bit of a background of what our region and what our area looks like here in western, uh, well, I guess it would be west central Minnesota. I'm a, from a town called Wilmer. So if you want to throw that up on your Google machine, go ahead. Here we go. So the uh, the region that I live in, I live in a county called Candy Ojai County. The population is, uh, it's probably a little bit different now, but right around 42,000 people. But the number here that I think is is interesting is the poverty rate of the county is 11.3%. Uh, and actually, that, that rate is a little bit higher than, than what this number shows. This is from the last census. And since the last census, there have been a lot more foreign-born people moving into Candy Ojai County. Wilmer is a very diverse, or I should say Candy Ojai County, is a very diverse county, and the city that I live in is a city called Wilmer. And Wilmer is really what makes up most of the um, the foreign-born or the immigrant population for Candy Ojai County. This is kind of the central hub for everything going on. So as you can see, Wilmer population, uh, I believe it's actually over 20,000 now. Um, graduate graduation rate is pretty high. I think that's an incredible number and something that Wilmer should be more excited and proud of to be sharing with people. But again, you take a look at that poverty rate down there at the bottom and the poverty rate here in Wilmer is between 17.3%. And I've seen some numbers of up to 20%. So it's, uh, it's not a great stat to have when your County is, uh, it finds itself 
at 11 percent population uh the population in poverty and then you go over here and look that wilmer makes up about 20 percent of that that's a that's a pretty staggering number so wilmer has has its share of problems overall i think wilmer is a really great accepting community but it does have its share of problems and one of those things that my friends and i have started to focus in on is that wilmer finds itself in a food desert so um, it's parts of the country that are vapid in fresh fruit, vegetables, and other healthful whole foods, usually found in impoverished areas. So in Wilmer, you'll see a map here coming up that <laughs> Wilmer is in a very, very, I would say that one of the driest, it's, it's a super dry city when it comes to food deserts, as there are not a lot of places that you can find fresh fruits and vegetables that are located within within range of your home. So it, it, it's interesting to think about this because Wilmer and Candy Ohio County fall in central Minnesota, and we're kind of like the cutoff line from heavy agricultural country. So there are a lot of producers to the west of us but most of those producers are now more um it's more market beef and the uh the dairy industry is starting to die out a little bit here so it's really all of these mass companies that are are kind of taking over the food industry to the west so there's not much local food going on or being grown agriculturally out here uh in candy ohio county or to the west so if you take a look here at the map, the entire United States, you can see all of that purple there would tell you that you're living in a food desert. So find yourself on the map there and it's uh, there's a chance that you are experiencing something like a food desert in your community. And if not in your community, it's probably right next door or there are parts of your community that would be experiencing a food desert, which is what Wilmer is experiencing. Um, here's some more information about food de food deserts. 15.6 million or 12% of households were food insecure in 2016. And that's throughout the entire United States. 4.9 million households were designated as having very low food security. Uh, pardon me, security. Very low food security means that a family is eating a reduced amount of food or eating patterns are disrupted on a regular basis. So most of you in here um, might have a little bit of a background. Hopefully you have a little background with the AHA process and getting ahead and, and the other curriculum that uh, AHA process offers. But if you don't know, um, a lot of folks that would be due to the, um, the poverty that they are experiencing in their communities. You can read the rest of that. And um, that is uh, just some some heavy data that that we think is is very important for people just to get an idea of, because really, um, as with most things, if you don't see it, you don't know that it's that it's happening. So um, moving on here, taking a look at myself specifically, um, taking more a uh, closer look at Minnesota, you'll see the two different color distinctions on these maps. On the left side, you'll see the low axis portion. And on the right side, you'll see uh, it's low access and low income. So um, the, the pink 
on the left-hand side is the same pink on the right map. And then the low axis is the, the light purple color there. So when we're talking about low access, that means you're having to travel to get to a grocery store. You're not able to easily access food um, to be able to get it to your family. And I'm not sure if the definition pops up here again later, but the, the definition that we operate under as menu, and it's actually offered by the USDA, is that in general, um, you're considered to be low access if you have to travel over one mile to get to a grocery store in an urban setting. And I, I want to say it's like 20 miles if it's in a more, um, if you're outside of town or you're living in the country. So um, the definitions are a little bit different here. The one that we focus on is the, the urban in town uh, definition. So let's take a look here at Wilmer specifically. And the data here is, is uh, or the maps here are pretty interesting. On the left-hand side this time, you'll see the low income and the low access. And on the right side, you'll see low access. So the majority of Wilmer you'll see, uh, especially on the right-hand side, and maybe I can put my mouse here to show you that right here, uh, this is a, a highway called Highway 12. And, and the, uh, the highway here, Highway 12, it's, it's just a, a pass-through highway. So it's highly trafficked. People are just coming through the city. And it's actually on the northern side of the town. On this part of town, um, this is where the majority of things are happening. So this is where all of the grocery stores are. This is, there's nothing out here. This is where I work now at the county building. Um, there is an old mental health hospital here that is now a technology campus. And there are a couple of mobile home parks uh, and a trailer park out here as well. So down here, this is the town center where like Target, Walmart, Cashwise, Cub Foods, this is where everybody is. This is where the action's happening. So you'll see on this map then where the low income and low access, as I mentioned, there are trailer parks, mobile home courts. There are people living out here. It's more residential, whereas um, this is where it all is. So a large portion of our population is living out here and having to travel into town to get to the food that they need for their families. So um, it's a really weird setup here. And I know that on this side of town, um, and I'm not a, I'm not a lifelong Wilmer resident, but from, from the grumblings that I've heard, because we've had some kickback about whether or not Wilmer is actually a food desert, people don't want to admit it, but the data shows it is. But I have heard that there have been a number of grocery stores that were out here in the past. So back in the 60s and 70s, there were grocery stores out here. And then whatever reason it was because of Highway 12, or if it was because um, the railroad is also along Highway 12, if, if that was kind of a driver for uh, those businesses to move out. So um, moving on here, you'll take a look. Here's some more Wilmer data. 14.2% of residents do not have access to a vehicle and live more than a half of a mile from a supermarket. 20% of Candy Ohio residents have low access to a store. And it's just the reality, really, of living in rural Minnesota. Um, there are 
a lot of cities along all of these main highways and these long corridors. However, a lot of these cities are really, really small and don't have their own grocery store. So you are looking at traveling 15, 20, 25 miles to get to a grocery store in some instances. Um, and I did want to to mention here too that in Wilmer, we don't have great public transportation. We do have one single bus that goes around and I've never um, ridden on it, but during my time at the Salvation Army, we would give people tokens and bus passes to ride the bus and they would always kind of, um, they would always, they wouldn't turn them away because they need them, but they were hesitant to take them because they were worried that uh, it takes an hour and a half to get somewhere in a town that is probably only, uh, well, it's only like three miles uh, long. And I'm not sure the width, but it's it's not a big town. So an hour and a half to get somewhere is crazy. You could definitely bike it, but Minnesota winters are a real thing. So people are not wanting to be <laughs> taking their bikes in the in the dead of winter. So moving on here, here's, here's a little uh, reality of what, it is the distance to some grocery stores in town. So all of these apartments here, or uh, you'll see the college at the bottom, these are the heavily um, lived areas for folks in the Wilmer community. So you'll see that some people have to travel almost four miles to get to Walmart. And I used Walmart because Walmart is generally where everyone shops here in, in Wilmer because um, they have a little bit of everything. It's assumed that their prices are lower, uh, although there have been studies done that the other um, the other grocery stores in our area are are similarly priced as well. But that is where pretty much everybody shops. That's where a, a lot of the the folks in town that are experiencing um, low income and low access. That's also where they work. So they go back to work to get their food and the college too. That's, that's a staggering thing. There's very little student housing in Wilmer. So the, the students are kind of dispersed throughout the community. And, um, but if they are out on the college campus, it's a five mile hike to get to a grocery store. So the college has really been proactive lately about offering free meals for their students and trying to lower their prices with their catering company that they work, work with right on site. So, uh, that just gives you an idea of how far it is for people in our community to get to a grocery store. And the next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, about what Wilmer actually is, is something called a food swamp. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Something that is made up of food that is not generally great for you and doesn't offer um, a lot of healthy options for people to eat at an affordable price. So this is just, uh, these are all the restaurants that you would see driving down First Street, the main street here in Wilmer. We have it all. And I think I missed a couple here as well. We have an Arby's, which is my favorite. Um, <laughs> we have we have places like Applebee's and things like that as well. But these are all kind of like the quick, the the fast food or the quick hitters that, that um uh, people generally use. And I don't know about you, um, but I, I grew up in poverty when I was a kid. And that's really what helps drive my work. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later. But if I didn't have a holiday gas station near me when I was a kid, I would have, uh, I don't know what I would have eaten because I grew up on 
on um, gas station hot dogs and brats and, and gas station food. So um, while these food swamps are not ideal for our communities, there there is obvious value in them because they are able to um, you know provide you with some kind of of nourishment. I did want to mention too that in Wilmer, this food swamp, so First Street in Wilmer is lined with all of these. As you're driving down First Street, these are the first things you see. You have to go deeper into uh, a couple of blocks in Wilmer to get access to our grocery stores. And the grocery stores in Wilmer are kind of on a four block section of the city. So they're all right next to each other and they're all kind of kitty corner from each other. So we have an um, um, Aldi's, we have um, Cashwise and Cub Foods, which are right next to each other, and a Walmart. So the, uh, <laughs> I don't know who planned it out, but that's just how it's laid out right now with every single one of our, our grocery stores right next to one another here in town. So you really do have to go deep into the business district to, to get any kind of uh, groceries. Here's some things that are probably, uh, I don't know, if you start thinking about food swamps and what that means to people's health and not having access to the fresh vegetables and uh, fruits and vegetables that they need and deserve, you can imagine that there's going to be some impacts on people's health. So things like obesity, chronic diseases like diabetes, high blood sugar, um, a bad liver, metabolic disease. So there's a lot of things here that uh, chronic disease wise that are not ideal for people's health in living in communities like these. And then obviously the lowered fruit and vegetable intake. The next thing, obesity. Um, you can see that there is a positive correlation between the distance to the store and the higher likelihood of obesity. So that's saying that if you live further away from a grocery store, the the more likely you are to be obese. So um, I think about it for myself. I'm not the thinnest person on the planet, but there was a time in my life where I was living very far away from a grocery store. I was living 20 miles from a grocery store. And when I would go get groceries, not only would I get groceries, but I would stop and I would get something at McDonald's or something at Pizza Ranch um, every time I would go to town because, um, hey, it's a little bit of a, a travel vacation thing for me. So I would I would travel and and um, it makes sense then that that uh, the correlation would exist. Low income individuals and families have higher um, body mass indexes than those not living in food deserts. So um, that's unfortunate there for the low income individuals as if they were not living in a, a food desert, they might have, and of course this is um, not a guarantee, but they might experience some higher body mass indexes. And then for every additional mile to the grocery store, the odds of being obese increased by 5%. So that's a really scary uh, statistic right there that it's every single mile you increase your chance of being overweight or obese by 5%. Other diseases you can uh, experience, kidney disease, a 40% chance, higher chance of having kidney disease, 
um, higher incidence of hypertension and diabetes, which um, America is suffering heavily from right now. Uh, a lot of people, those are a couple of the leading causes of death here in the United States. So taking a look here at the, the fresh, the fruit and vegetable intake as well, lower levels of serum. Oh my gosh. Carinatoids. I've, I've practiced that a few times and I still have not been able to find it. Um, and then of course, uh, it's, it's a lot of self-reporting that the people were self-reporting that they have less fruits and vegetables in their home. Some contributing factors, and these are the two pieces that my group, which we're about to get to, we're about to get to the really fun stuff uh, here in, a, in just a minute, but contributing factors are price and access. So um, if you take a look here, eating healthy versus price, on average, it costs $1.50 more per day to eat a healthy diet of fruits, vegetables, fish, nuts versus processed food. And when you think about a dollar of dollar fifty, um, I don't know. That doesn't seem a lot when you hear a dollar fifty, but when you add that up, that gets to be quite expensive. And you'll see here five hundred and fifty dollars per person per year to have a healthy diet, um, and that gets to be a lot with a lot of families that have um, numerous children or have grandma and grandpa living with them or aunts and uncles, whatever their home might look like. Taking a look here at what a meal at Burger King costs, you can go there, and I know that their prices have changed in McDonald's. Everybody's prices have, have changed a little bit, and I know things are getting more expensive, but the traditional dollar menu items, you can see a, a hamburger, $1, chicken nuggets, $1.19, and then uh, I think one of the, the worst things that you can get on the menu, but it's my favorite, the fountain drink for $1.29. That's where all of the... Uh, the uh, sugar and carbs are loaded up in. So taking a look here at some price, lower price grocery stores market and display more unhealthy food than higher price grocery stores. A correlation between obesity and price at the grocery store and higher the price in a grocery store, the lower the incidence of obesity in those shoppers. So when you think about the stores that you go into, and you think about what's on the end caps. And the end caps are the just the ends of the aisle when you're walking by. And I'll use Walmart, for example. When you walk into a Walmart and you're walking down the aisle looking for which aisle you need to get into to find, uh, let's say, bread. You, walk, you have to walk by a whole bunch of junk food before you get into that actual aisle because that is what is being marketed to you on those end caps. And, of course, they have... Uh, it's not all junk food. There are different things on them, but you see heavily um, in those aisles, cookies, crackers, soda, all those things that might catch your kid's attention as you're taking them down the aisle. Access, the other part here, um, the correlation between the distance to a grocery store and obesity, that's really the, the key takeaway here. I think um, that's really what we want to, to really hit home with um, is that for every additional mile to the grocery store, the odds of being obese increased by 5%. So that's a, to me, that's really scary. I hope for you, it's scary as well. And that hopefully we can start making some changes to help people not have to experience that or go down that route. And we're about to get to all of that. And I wanted to throw this in here. 
before talking about our actual program, because um, I think it's vital. And as we're going through, you you will be able to see examples of all of these things. As you, If you think back to getting ahead or jumping back into a getting ahead workbook, um, resources, all of the resources are interconnected. So everything that that we do in our program, we can see examples of all of these things um, and they all kind of build off one another. So as we go through, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but you can, you'll be able to see where all of these might be able to cross into one another because we intentionally sit, sat down and tried to include all of these um, 11 resources from getting ahead into our program and then uh, there's a couple of pictures of some of the kids that we work with and uh, yeah these kids are lucky enough to be standing uh, right in front of a huge pile of compost but it's uh, you know if you know what compost is it's not something you want to be smelling or standing around so here we go what is menu and I, I wanted to I was just thinking about this as I was uh, going through those earlier slides. And I always like to tell people that those early slides, those are for my partner, Ben, my, my partner, Ben, he went to college. Um, he's a social worker. He's working on getting his master's in social work. So this was a huge part of his um, work as an undergrad, trying to figure out what food deserts are, how to address food deserts and how to make life better for everyone in the community. So I like to say he likes to do all of the boring things and I have to include those things. This is for me. This is where I come in. This is where I really thrive. So menu is uh, a really great program. And I think the best way to tell you about it is to share a video with you that we were lucky enough to have offered to be created for us by our local PBS station here in Minnesota. It's actually based out of a, a town called Appleton, Minnesota. And we were lucky enough that they offered to do a video for us. And so this is the, really the best way to give you an introduction into what Menu is. program that we are running now and have founded and turned into a nonprofit is called the Menu Youth Garden. And what the Menu Youth Garden is, it's a plot of land and greenhouse originally that is lended to us through the Midwest Tech Campus in Wilmer. We originally were given four acres of land and a greenhouse that was built in the 1970s to utilize to grow fresh fruits and vegetables that were not commonly found in Minnesota with the intent of serving underrepresented populations in the Wilmer community to provide them with fresh fruits and vegetables that they might not be able to get in Minnesota, but they were used to getting at home. The overall goal is to provide youth in the community with some, some jobs and to give them an opportunity to do some work that might be a little more artistic or help them work with their hands a little bit more. Instead of sitting in the house, playing with their phones or looking at a screen, they get outside, get involved in the, the dirt and start to produce for, for the 
family members in their household and then also provide for themselves and hopefully give a little knowledge about eating healthy, making sure that they live healthy, sustainable lives, and then give them some entrepreneurial experience as well. It started out with just a youth garden. The goal was to utilize all four acres of the land that the Midwest Tech Campus was providing for us. Myself, Ben Larson, and Abdueli Youssef, we quickly found out that because none of us know anything about gardening, we were in some trouble. So we <laughs> had to downsize early and we ended up using one acre of land and then putting the greenhouse to use. We grew things like bitter balls and watermelon and a lot of common things that were found in Minnesota, but we tried to spread it out to find some more diverse plants and, and vegetables. And we found out that Minnesota doesn't have a great climate for growing bitter balls or other uh, vegetables that are not common to Minnesota. So there was a very good reason why they weren't being grown outside. What we're doing now is we have a full season, all year round CSA program. And what a CSA is, it's a community supported agriculture program where the goal is to get vegetables in the hands of seniors, people that don't have a lot of money, people that come from all different backgrounds. We're trying to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to, to have some fresh fruits and vegetables. So we're trying to really address access and price. And by running our CSA the way we are, we're going to be able to address both of those things at the same time. So the way that we're doing it this year is that we are offering CSA at a discounted price to people that can afford it. And every person that subscribes or becomes a member, we then give a free CSA bag with the same amount of vegetables, same amount of everything to somebody receiving SNAP benefits or senior citizens. We're hoping that people in the community that can afford it will see that this initiative will have a massive impact on the overall community by not only giving their families fresh fruits and vegetables, but also giving another family that might not have that access or have the money to do so. Hopefully they can see the value in, in doing that. Working with the, the youth of the community has been incredible. We never thought we would have as much interest in our program as we as we have had. We partner with a couple of organizations in town, one of them Central Minnesota Jobs and Training, the Dream Academy, Wilmer Public Schools, and the ALC in town. Everything always comes back to the youth for us. So while we have a lot of great volunteers, it's, it's, uh, it's not really anything if we don't have any youth. It's been incredible that the youth are interested. The journey that this has taken my life on is a journey that I honestly never thought I would ever be doing. I have no experience or I had no experience with gardening, really anything with agriculture before starting this program. But my passion is to enrich the lives of youth and help make sure that people that are underrepresented in our communities have the same opportunities that I had growing up. I really wanted to make it so that the youth are really able to do anything. I want to instill that in them as a core part of themselves. It really has taken me on a journey that I, I never expected. 
I went from being a, a butcher to a radio guy to now I'm working um, in my free time in a, in a garden setting, in a greenhouse. I just, it, this couldn't have impacted my life any more than it has or any more positively than it already has. Like this is the greatest experience that I've ever had. The youth are incredible. The Wilmer community overall is such a giving, caring community. They've embraced us with open arms and they really have just let us run wild with, with whatever we come up with next. So as you can see from that video, the uh, Menu Youth Garden, or Menu, um, it's a, uh, I'm, I came up with that. So I, I want to give myself a little props here for it. We live in Minnesota, and we are trying to change what people put on their family's dinner menu. So we tried to make it a play on the, the words there. So Menu is a plot of landing greenhouse that grows exotic fruits and vegetables not commonly found in Minnesota. And the way that we do that is we hire 30 youth to manage all aspects of the business. So um, first part there, and in the video, I did mention literally only one exotic fruit that we were growing. I was, uh, I totally had a brain fart that day, but we, we started out growing bitter balls and kitli. Those were the two vegetables that we decided to grow because they're very popular um, with the Somali population that we have here in Wilmer. A lot of folks were talking about them, but as soon as we started growing them, it turned out that they didn't actually want them or wanted to use them. So we grew all of these very expensive seeds and we had way, way too many and <laughs> they all kind of went to waste. So it was, it was a, a bummer there, but we learned a quick lesson on, on including other voices and trying to make sure that we're growing what people want. So again, so it's a, a plot of land and greenhouse that was actually just given to us to utilize in uh, it's right to the North side of town. Again, 30 youth, like I had mentioned are hired and we're lucky enough that there's a company or an organization in our community called central Minnesota jobs and training and they're based out of our community college, Ridgewater College. And what they do is they they come in and they actually um, work with organizations like ours to hire youth who are um, underserved or are experiencing some form of hardship. So uh, most of the kids that we work with um, fit the definition by uh, being from... Um, by being low income or by being an immigrant in the Wilmer community. So we've been able to utilize that organization and they, they pay the youth wages and they're able to cover 30 youth's wages. So it was really an incredible start for our program. The youth that we work with are age 15 to 24. And um, our goal is to make it more a more well-rounded program so that Kids aren't just coming, picking weeds or planting vegetables or planting plants and, and taking care of them. The goal for us is to have them interact with local business owners that, well, for the Somali population that we work with, we want them to be exposed to business owners that look and sound just like them so that they're able to build that kind of entrepreneurial spirit within themselves. 
And then we also wanted to show that, hey, look, we know that Wilmer is in rural Minnesota. And as you go further west, this is kind of it. But we want to let people know that there are opportunities in our own community for job opportunities. So we really wanted to instill that value in the kids that, hey, you don't have to leave the community to do the things that you would like to do. And then we set up weekly classroom and education meetups and monthly speakers. So those speakers are those business people that we were talking about. They were local um, extension educators coming in and talking about how to prepare meals. And then there were uh, myself, Ben, and then Abdeweli, who you see here in the, uh, the pictures here on this slide. Here's some pictures of the kids in action. Here's an example of, um, this is someone they, they refer to, they were referring to her as like Grandma Nancy. She was just like, she's an incredible woman. She's the reason that we've made it as far as we have with this program. We came in not knowing anything about gardening or vegetables or how to do any of it. And she really lit the fire in us to um, learn these things. And also she was a great teacher. Here you can see one of our monthly meetups where we were uh, getting together. We were enjoying some food together and getting to know one another because that was another part that we thought was important was to build some kind of social capital amongst the youth so that it wasn't so that it doesn't feel as much like an us versus them type feeling. So we wanted to build that social capital within our group so that they would feel more confident and comfortable building social capital in the community at uh, at large. And on this side, you can see all of our kids here transplanting some of our vegetables. That I can't tell what those are, but I assume they're tomatoes because we planted way, way too many in our first year. Here's some of the successes from our first year as menu. The vegetables grew. We had incredible youth involvement. Not only did we have 30 youth working for us, but those youth, they went and told their friends, hey, you should come with me to work today. They won't care. My bosses won't care that you guys come with. So, so the youth were involved and maybe even a little bit too involved because they continued to bring more and more kids every week. So there were times when we had 40 to 45 kids working out in the garden with us. And um, I don't know, it was really, really fun while we were out there. We had great community support in our first year. And um, I don't know, I'll show you a list of our of all of our funders later, but we had great community support financially, but then also people just being interested in what we're doing and, and excited that we're that three young guys are are coming together to put together a program that would benefit our entire community. And then you can see there the funder buy-in. Uh, it's I'll explain it later, but in starting this program, none of us knew how to write grants, but then we started writing grants and just trying to do it. And now we feel like we are our grant experts and could and could write professional grants because it was it felt like it was almost too easy. People were so excited about our program that it made the <laughs> the lack of technical grant writing okay with a lot of the funders that we work with. So um, showing that passion, showing that drive really helped the funders buy into what we were doing. So again, this is all things that were going on in our first year. We're actually in year three, and I'll talk to you more about year three, what's going on here in a couple slides. But I think it's important to talk about also some of the challenges that we experienced in our first year and, 
and why we have changed to what we have today. So some of the challenges, delayed gratification, you know, you plant a seed, you got to wait for it all summer long or wait until the fall to see any kind of vegetables growing. So the kids, delayed gratification, that was really hard to, to get the kids to keep that buy-in and stay excited all summer long. The market schedule was hard too. We really wanted to be a part of the farmer's markets because we wanted kids to run a farmer's market booth so that they would be able to get exposure to people in the community, other um, vegetable or business owners that were at the, at the market as well. But the markets were very like start at like 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday morning. And that's not what kids want to be doing during the summer. So that was really, really hard for us to figure out and and um, get kids motivated to go. Then they also have one uh, on Wednesdays that starts at noon. So that one was a little more, more realistic. Obviously, the garden upkeep where, um, you know, the weeding and taking care of everything was uh, got to be a problem after a while. Um, racist citizens, and we didn't experience it that much, but the uh, gentleman pictured here, it was a really, really bad day. Um, you'll see here this picture of him in uh, his wheelchair flipping the bird. Um, that day was a, a was one of the worst days and actually completely changed the path that we were going on. Um, we were at the market on a Saturday morning and we had two Somali youth working the booth and Abdeweli, one of our co-founders, was there as well. They were all working the booth and they had said that Everything had been going well. Ben and I were out of town. We were, um, I don't know what we were doing, but we just were out of town, not close. Um, we got a phone call at around 10 a.m. that somebody had just come by our booth and came by the booth and threw a frozen pig's foot onto our vegetable table. And it came in contact with all of our vegetables. And he was throwing out profanities about the Prophet Muhammad. And he just drove off on his um, electric wheelchair and and nobody knew what to do. Everybody was kind of in a panic. Um, luckily, nobody reacted violently or in a bad way or in a negative way. Abdueli handled it incredibly well. But that is that was one of the most disgusting things and disgusting acts to this day that that I have ever been um had to think about or had to deal with. And I cannot imagine what it was like for um, our youth being there that day as well. So we had to deal with some of that. And we decided on that day that we would never, ever, ever again, let our kids be exposed to something like this. Um, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but sustainability, that was another piece. We, we were just growing vegetables to sell at the market. You don't really make a lot of uh, money at the market unless you're able to sell out every single week, which we got close to doing because we were growing some different things like um, ghost peppers, which people really, really like, heirloom tomatoes um, and things like that. So sustainability, that became an issue for us. And we we didn't want to uh, we like what we're doing. So we didn't want to see this program fall through. Here's some of the outcomes that we had from year one. We believe that we have a stronger entrepreneurial base because we have a lot of kids that were constantly think of different ways to do something or different um, businesses that they could start for themselves. And then um, we created jobs for underrepresented youth in our community. We authentically represent the diversity of the community um, 
by creating those jobs for the uh, underrepresented youth. Um, because of what we were doing, the community had better access to fresh veggies. Whatever we didn't sell, we sent home with the kids. So the kids were able to take all the vegetables home and give them to their families. And we grew a lot. So they got it. We dropped it off with um, a few other places in town just to give it out for free. We we didn't um, we weren't we were, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this to better our community. So um, we thought that the community had better access to fresh veggies. And then we empowered youth to explore different collegiate programs. And that's an interesting story here because uh, we actually had two kids that went off to college and one of them was going to um, get a degree in art. And then another, he didn't really know what he wanted to do, but they both went to school, got halfway through their semester and then decided because of the work that they were doing with us and how much they enjoyed it, they both switched their majors to become environmental scientists. So um, they're both working on their degree still to this day. And it's just, uh, it was incredible that we were able to have that big of an impact on some of the kids that early on in the program that we were doing. So uh, myself, Abdueli and Ben, we all got together and we talked about all of the things that happened in year one and two and how we wanted to make sure that none of the bad things happened again and how we could make this program even better and increase the reach to um, connect with, with more people as well. So what we came up with was a CSA program. And if you don't know what a CSA program, it's a community supported agriculture program where it gives people direct access to quality fresh produce grown locally. And so what that means is that uh, you'll see here how the supermarket works, how the farmer's market works, and then how a local CSA works. So we literally grow vegetables, put them in a box, and then get them to uh, get them to you and your family. CSAs generally cost between um, $450, $600. We've seen some that are like $800. It all kind of depends on what what they have and, and where they are, I guess, um, to what they are charging. And it they usually include between seven and 10 types of vegetables. So that's just what a general, a CSA is in general. When it comes to the menu CSA program, what we decided to come up with is something called the Buy One, Give One CSA Initiative, where if you think of the program um, like Tom's Shoes, where they, where when you buy a pair of shoes, they donate some shoes to uh, a kid in a different country. That's the same idea that we have here. However, we want to benefit the people that are living directly in our community. So what we did was we, we reached out to to individuals to become subscribers where they would purchase their share. And in the first year, their shares cost $625. That's a full share, which they receive for 18 to 20 weeks. And with every subscriber purchase that we had, we gave a box for free to somebody in the community that was experiencing low access and uh, low income. And we also worked with our local healthcare provider to accomplish this, Karis Health. Um, they were able to come up with folks that were also experiencing some, some health issues. 
So we worked a lot with um, their folks that are involved in, they have some programming for, uh, shoot, cardiac, their cardiac patients, their diabetic patients. So it was a good mix, but they were able to add a box onto their already existing survey or um, intake form and say, hey, do you do you identify as either of these? If yes, would you be interested in receiving a free box? So um, that's what we did. We, we got a list from them. And in our first year, we had 60 subscribers. And so we were able to give out 60 free boxes and then some because we grew way too much. That's one thing about us is that we, whatever it is, we, we have this idea and, and unfortunately we have to learn the hard way because we don't do, we ha didn't do a lot of planning, um, like all of the core hardcore planning that you need to make sure that you're not overgrowing or underproducing. We did the underproducing piece, but we didn't think about the overproducing, but we figured it's a good problem to have. And at the end of the year, we were able to really, really fill people's boxes with some fresh produce. So you see here, uh, those final bullets, um, people that we serve, people that are receiving SNAP benefits, senior citizens. And then um, I did forget to mention that one of the main things that we wanted to do was remove that access barrier. And we started delivering boxes weekly to individuals' houses. So we would do that for the people that received their free share and the subscribers, because they all were at the time basically working at Karis Health, we were able to set up in their parking lot. And then the um, the employees were able to come out, get their boxes and go home after they were done working. So it worked out really, really well. And it really, really took away from that access piece that we were looking to address. And then, of course, the affordability kind of uh, is self-explanatory there. We made a discounted, a couple of discounted rates for our subscribers because as you can think about whether or not you have money, like 600 to $800 is a lot of money to be putting towards something in one big chunk. So we, we've broken it down so people can make payments monthly. Um, we've made a, a cheaper rate so that we can be competitive with other CSAs in our area. I think there's only one or two, but um, really our goal is not to make money on this. And I, I really wanna hit home with that. We care about sustainability, but this is our passion project. We don't, we don't, want, we don't care if we get paid. We want kids to have opportunities to keep working. And we want um, to strengthen the community by creating some of these, um, like helping as much as we can with people to um, have enough food for their families. So moving on here, just a few slides left. Um, the funders, here's all of our funders, or I should say the majority of our funders for our youth garden. And if you have these programs in your community, definitely reach out to them, whether or not you're doing um, a youth garden or something like it. Um, if you're doing anything with kids, that's really what funders like to see. Um, so please use this list, even if you are in Minnesota or if you're in Wilmer watching this and you want to, and you want to, uh, <laughs> start dipping into the same pot, please, please do it. Um, these are not secret and they are, um, that's what they're there for. So please use them. And then our partners and friends, we can't say enough about 
all of our partners and friends. The one at the bottom there I really wanted to um, talk about here the last few minutes is that the Salvation Army is where I became a getting ahead facilitator. And so I've been a getting ahead facilitator for three years. And uh, in my first year, I saw these direct connections between getting ahead and what what Abdueli, Ben, and myself were talking about. So we were able to really, while I was at work, um, not only was I doing the work and connecting with folks through getting ahead, but I was learning a lot from getting ahead myself and then taking these lessons that I learned and was able to incorporate them into our programming. So um, the Salvation Army is a huge, huge partner for us, and we we continue to work with them here on this day. So it was actually someone by the name of um, Captain Linda Faye Jones who who gave me the opportunity to work with the Salvation Army and really make this Getting Ahead program um, into something special here in Wilmer. And um, yeah, I know she she's also a facilitator. So Captain, if you're listening, uh, thanks for thanks for checking it out. <laughs> So here's uh, here's some next steps on uh, on these webinars. You never know, uh, and I'm not saying these specific AHA process webinars, but in any meeting or in any webinar, you never really know what to do afterwards. So I wanted to throw out just a few things on how you can make a difference here by taking action. And the biggest part is where you spend your money. Um, if you are able to support CSA programs like Menu or others in your community, um, they're doing some really incredible work and trying to keep it local. Um, I'm a big believer in keeping and shopping and buying everything local if possible. So, um, yeah, you can see, know what you buy. The average meal travels 1,500 miles from farm to the supermarket. And this is a little bit of a side note, but it is something that Menu is working on next is that in the Wilmer community, we have a large population of Somali individuals and and most everyone that we've talked to love goat meat. And it is challenging to get fresh goat meat in our community. So um, right now, Abdueli actually owns his own little grocery store in downtown Wilmer. And the goat meat that he is getting right now comes from Egypt. So it's not um, it's not easy, and it it's not like you can go uh, run out to the farm, get some local, get some, have somebody uh, or buy some goats, take them to the slaughterhouse, and and get them taken care of. That sounds so bad, but you know what I'm trying to get at here is that it's not like you can just run down the run down to the farm, get these animals, and then have fresh meat to sell the next day. Right now, the way things are set up is that the meat is coming from Egypt. So it's, it's, uh, it doesn't seem fair. It's, it doesn't seem fair that it takes that long for meat to get here. And by then it's obviously not fresh. So we're, we're hoping that in the future, again, uh, something else we don't know very much about, but we're willing to dive in if it means better um, living conditions or better lives overall for the folks in our community. So Next time I'm doing this, it might be about the cool goat program that we have <laughs> coming out in the near future. Um, as you can see on the bottom, this is the fundamental belief for myself, my friends, Ben and Abdueli, and then everyone we work with. Everyone has a right to healthy food. And by giving people healthy food, 
Um, I don't know. They're able to develop all of these other resources because they're able to take away um, the, they're able to address one of their main issues in whether that's maybe their physical or, or mental health or, or something like that. But in, if we're able to address a couple of those um, resources in a way that is effective and they don't have to worry about it any, anymore, they're able to take a look at some of these other resources and work on building those as well. So everyone has a right to healthy food. That's really the drive we're making here in our community. And we're hoping to make some policy change here in the next couple of, um, well, you know how it works. It might be a, the next couple of years. Um, the final slide here, or I should say second to final slide, questions. I know you can't ask my, me any right now, but if you would like to um, reach out to me, if you have any questions, here's how you can do it. You can go and send us an email at mnyouyouth at gmail.com. You can look us up on Facebook and um, we're trying to be better about using social media. None of us, this is all of our part-time jobs. Uh, we all have full-time jobs on the side. So we, we, uh, we take to Facebook when we can. We all have it on our phones, though, so we'll get a notification if you send anything to us. And then on Instagram, that's definitely the one we're worst at. So I would recommend email or Facebook. And then if you want to email too um, and want to have a phone conversation or a Google Hangout, I'd love to chat with you as well. So um, with that... Uh, my name, again, is Nate Erickson. It's been lovely to be here with you all, and I hope that hearing this idea will share, uh, well, will spark some inspiration in you to see that if three three guys with no background or, or really no background in gardening or vegetables or food production, if, all, if, three, guys, if three of us can do it, you can do it. So please, uh, I'm excited. Let, share your ideas with me. I would love to partner in any way that we possibly can. Thanks. Mm -hmm.